it's time to cast magic. Today we're delving into more magic, my thoughts on storytelling and contextualizing antagonists, where it's been rough in other games and how we aim to do better. Welcome, welcome to the first episode of More Magic. Uh, I am Dark Magic, your host. Quick intro for a quick episode. I was um, getting eager to delve into some Q&A last episode. Uh, today, we'll instead go into a couple of thoughts that I've had on some other games that have inspired me and uh, games that are informing what I consider to be better design choices for our project, The Dragon and I. Uh, thank you for tuning in. I'd love to hear your feedback for this particular episode uh, via email or through our project Discord, uh, just based on the topic of today's discussion. These more magic episodes are going to be a way for me to um, just sort of put out some of those sort of core topics that don't particularly follow any sort of lore or, um, or, or any sort of like direct relation to the game, but they are things that are you know, inspiring the direction it is going. So, so sort of the, the output that will eventually be what's, what's in the game, you know, like that these sort of ideas and thoughts that I've had, um, are, are going to be covered in these sort of more magic, uh, episodes. So we won't touch so much on the game today, but I think that, um, this, this is like, especially today's topic is something that I have been seeing, uh, crop up, a bit more and more in games and and it's something that I want people thinking about and and talking about sort of thing so yeah just these these more magic episodes um they're a way of avoiding sort of walls of text on the discord you know I would like to sort of be speaking there a bit more frequently about this stuff um but I've been doing well to avoid that since the podcast began so if you had some thoughts uh, especially if you like totally disagree with with sort of the observations that I've been making uh, on on these different games and and their their narratives and stuff like that by all means shoot us an email uh, would love to hear your thoughts and so before we get uh, before we get into things I would like to advise that um, just you know in this sort of format where we're deconstructing uh, games books films you know think just things that have inspired me people projects etc um, a lot of what I bring up for these discussions and examinations. Uh, they will be from some of my favorite games and stories of the past few years or, or, or games that have always had like a strong influence on my own interests as a game designer. I, I hold these games in a very high regard and I'm just the sort of person who, um, you know, I am quite hard on myself, uh, especially since like, you know, it sort of shows even just within this project, it took a very long time from when I, uh, you know, uh, graduated and sort of got into this industry and sort of reaching a point where I settled on something that I was like, this is good enough. So just sort of keeping that in mind that, you know, if I'm, I'm the sort of person where if I respect some product or some designer or something to a high degree, uh, I also place a very high um, set of expectations on that, uh, on that franchise or person uh, and that person's work as often the case with many game dev studios these days, especially in recent memory, um, you know, the, the sort of modern content from these legendary game studios and directors and stuff like that, uh, from all mediums, not just, not just the games industry. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of gotten a little mediocre or sort of, you know, bending to the whims of, of, you know, the money making and all that sort of, you know, just sort of drop, dropping the ball, um, whereby in the past, you know, the, the sort of the iconic, um, you know, experiences that we've had growing up with, with video games, uh, is sort of few and far between, 
in in the modern era. So if I have to, you know, if I say anything that's like, you know, very very critical or seems a little harsh sort of thing, um, just sort of keep in mind that it is from the stance of like considerable respect for uh, uh, for the creators, for the artists, um, you know, and, and you know the the director of these of of these sort of um, you know games and, and film and and so on and so forth because you know they have inspired me and without that sort of love and passion that I have for those games and creators, you know, like it's, it's sort of in seeing what they can do and, and that sort of thing that, uh, you know, sort of, uh, has, has drawn me into sort of, you know, putting pressure on myself to do well and to make the best content that I can create. So with that in mind, just sort of keeping that in mind that I'm not just here to sort of, uh, you know, just, just criticize and, 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 and crack the whip on, on just sort of various popular projects or, you know, or things that are seemingly sort of outside my area of expertise or interest. Um, quite often, if I am discussing something, it's because I did in fact, you know, like I loved that thing, uh, but it's not, you know, it may not necessarily have met all of my expectations that I sort of, well, you know, expected from, from that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, just keeping that in mind, we're going to discuss something, uh, that's often for me, uh, kept a lot of really solid games, like, you know, like the eight, eight or nine out of 10 sort of like good game from being a proper all round, excellent package. Um, and, and that topic is all about, is all about how villains are constructed. You, your antagonist, uh, for your game series or project or, or installment, especially in sort of long, longer running franchises, and I'm going to sort of refer to it today as, as per the title of this episode, as the goal problem. So uh, just to sort of quickly explain that before we sort of break down what's been going on with this, um, you know, one, one of the sort of large releases of the past couple of years was Destiny 2, of course. That's, a you know, this mega franchise that Bungie has been championing for several years now uh, across a number of consoles, and it finally got its PC release as well with Destiny 2. So that was something I was already looking into because I had played the original Destiny. Uh, the core gameplay loop was very satisfying, but the actual narrative experience was not. It was quite lacking and uh, if you've ever read into the making of the first Destiny, you will you will learn that uh, essentially there was there was a you know there was a vision for it to be sort of MMO like where you could pick different starting races and they would have sort of different starting areas and then sort of filter into a main narrative and go from there. Kind of similar to how um, Guild Wars Two did its uh, story narrative for the for the base game, um, and and then sort of like from there because of sort of complications with the producers and I think that you know like the actual you know lead writer quit after a bit of a bit of a tiff with with the uh, the management um, at, at Bungie and Activision and that sort of thing they had to sort of cobble together a story that just like it just made no sense there was definitely a, a little bit of world building and stuff happening you got like a taste of that sort of more curated narrative that they were looking to sort of flow into it but Destiny 1 was, from a storytelling perspective, just scatterbrained, very all over the place. And, and it's unfortunate because the general package of the game was pretty impressive for what it was at the time, uh, you know, graphically and the, and the core gameplay and, and that sort of thing. 
And then obviously after a couple of years, they did expansions and stuff and announced Destiny 2, um, which we knew everyone knew was was coming anyways, um, but that it was coming to PC. And so I, you know I got in, I got interested in that. And a lot of um, a lot of the advertising material for that game centered around uh, constructing the notion that they'd put a lot more effort into a focus story for the sequel. And the beta definitely confirmed that as well because you did like the the opening sort of segment of the game sort of thing and that was quite you know that that was quite enjoyable had very interesting story beats and interest uh, introduced this uh primary antagonist named gaul who was leader of um uh, a subfaction within the cabal race of enemies that was carried over from you know just like the the, the overall destiny lore sort of thing so he was a character that was introduced for the sequel and throughout the sequel, um, you know, you, you, you're doing stuff, uh, you know, Earth Earth gets attacked, um, you know, obviously not going into spoilers since it went sort of free-to-play free to recently, but, um, you know, people may, may care about the story there, but, but basically they have this, you know, this centralised villain who's very much like a... Uh, kind of like a, a Darth Vader sort of character who's kind of brooding and they sort of build him up. Um, they build him up to sort of be like this, uh, you know, this tactician, this this intelligent uh, sort of character. But the way that they did this was that you would do uh, missions, you know, like Earth gets attacked, your your friends and forces are scattered and you sort of, you know, you reclaim your your own personal power as well as sort of, reclaiming a bit of a foothold on earth and sort of fighting back against Gaul and the forces of you know like his his army and, and that sort of thing but the problem was that um while you were doing this in between sort of major story episodes as you were you know leveling and sort of doing side quests and coming back to the main narrative and, and all that sort of stuff you know very similar to like an MMO-esque type type experience where you're sort of gated a little bit um, so you can't just do it all in one go. You've got to sort of grow your power and come back to it and all that sort of stuff. At certain segments, you would, you would, um, the story would cut over to these really finely tuned cinematics, um, you know, really gorgeous, um, movie quality, uh, little sort of vignettes with, with Gaul, um, speaking with some other familiar faces, um, you know, uh, persons that he had captured and brought onto his capital ship and and that sort of thing. And, and they use these opportunities to develop a, a brooding and calculated and almost a, a reasonable sort of character. Like, you could understand his background. He came from, you know, nothing and built up his power and and, you know, he had these sort of grandiose plans that weren't, you know, they, they're obviously in opposition to what the player uh, has been, you know, sort of living with their character, you know, what they know to be good from evil sort of thing. But like you can sort of, you got an understanding of this gent and and sort of his ambitions and, and, and that type of thing. However, it was only ever through these cutscenes that we got to see the development of his character. You would do a mission, you'd do a couple of missions, and then every so often, I think it was about sort of eight or nine cutscenes. There was quite a few, um, and you can definitely look them up on YouTube if you sort of, um, you know, look for a cinematic cut of Destiny 2's vanilla story. And you definitely got the impression that Gaul was like a pretty well-developed character. They definitely put the time and effort into developing this fresh face so that we felt like he mattered 
for the story. And then as you're sort of approaching the end of the campaign and you're doing the sort of final mission content, in terms of like gamifying the experience and actually bringing him into not just the story of the game, but the game itself, these are sort of the first, like this is sort of essentially like at face value, the first time we're really meeting the character in terms of the gameplay. And then you sort of deal with him and then you're sort of wrapping up the very end of the game and then and then sort of, you know, there's a couple of cinematics to follow and then the campaign is done. And this is the goal problem. And I'm starting to see it in quite a number of games recently. Um, very easily, I can say, just off the cuff, uh, in Ghost Recon Breakpoint, the, uh, the villain of that franchise, uh, Cole Walker, is a character who I've sort of I saw in the tutorial, much like I saw the Gaul in the tutorial of Destiny 2, and then I've been doing missions. Occasionally, I have flashbacks, and I understand um, that he was potentially, from what I've been told in the DLC of the Ghost Recon game that came before Breakpoint, Wildlands. I believe he was in the DLC for that. Um, but as someone who never played that, and I'm just jumping into Breakpoint as like a complete package sort of thing, this character's been introduced to me, and I keep getting these cutscenes where, like, you know, we're developing this this man, you know, sometimes he does these truly, like, unhinged, you know, he takes these, like, unhinged actions, and you're just like, you are losing your marbles, man, sort of thing, but then there's sort of, you know, it'll rewind to some, um, some flashback where, like, he's, he's, you know, like, been part of my squad, or, like, saved my life, and stuff like that, and essentially, the, the narrative is building this relationship with this antagonist that my character has, has had, and the game is telling me that I have had this relationship and connection with this character. And I've done a little bit of reading. I haven't finished Breakpoint yet, but I've done a little bit of reading into it. And I've learned that very similarly to uh, other uh, games that Ubisoft are making these days, especially the Far Cry franchise, um, I'm, I'm told that this is a very similar, like a very common theme in the recent uh, installments of that franchise. This might be new to Ghost Recon, I'm not sure. But basically, if you're brave enough, you can essentially go to a certain area within the game and it's, you know, like a heavy, heavily fortified, you know, enemies of very high level sort of uh, area. But if you wish to do so, like once you've done sort of the tutorialization of the game, you can more or less just make a beeline towards that, um, you know, that stronghold and take on Cole Walker. And, and as far as I can tell, I imagine you can you can eliminate him in terms of the story like you can you can just wipe him out as you know sort of your sort of main antagonist and then you've probably only got the sort of like the lieutenants of him and a couple of his other sort of um you know not puppet master but you know his his allies in in his uh, conquest of of the game world of breakpoint um, and sort of based on the story missions that I have done, it seems to suggest that the story, while leaning on the personification of Cole Walker being, you know, this this powerful connected character that's, you know, very central. I've had a lot of, well, I'm told I've had a lot of, you know, uh, missions and, and sort of time and, and a relationship built on, you know, 
previous trust and stuff with this character. But in terms of the actual gameplay, I see him in a bit of a tutorial. He crops up in my cinematics whenever I sort of finish or start major missions. And from what I can tell, especially with the way that the game world is set up, even if I sort of meet this character in some future missions and maybe we have a skirmish, that the way he is being gamified means that I can just sort of slam right into his base, or maybe I can even potentially pick him off from a hillside with a with a sniper rifle, because, you know, it's a tactical sort of modern shooter sort of game. And then that's it. He's been eliminated. And this is the goal problem. This is This is the problem where there's this... There's this sort of, um, there's this contrast between, and it's, it's almost like a distortion of, of expectations here, whereby, like, the, the story builders or, like, I guess sort of the narrative designers on the projects, um, you know, they're, they're, they're perhaps given a certain brief or they've got a certain goal for these characters, and, you know, they, they want us to feel connected to these characters. They want us to care for these characters. And so they, you know, they put in all this effort and, and sort of develop, you know, their narrative, make them these complete and complicated individuals. But then just, I don't know, per the, per the constraints of the, um, uh, the development cycle or the constraints of what the design team is doing in actually building, building the game world, building the missions, etc., there's just kind of this disconnect. There's no, there's no sort of um, unison between what the story is doing for these villains and what you can do with with regard to these villains uh, in gameplay. And, and and like I said, especially if we're taking into consideration uh, things like Far Cry and and a bunch of other games where you can essentially like if you're bunny quotes, you know, real good at the game, or you just want to do some crazy speed run through the game, you can you know, you can, you can just sort of go and kill these characters. But even if you're not interested in that, the game doesn't, the game doesn't sort of let you build that relationship with these characters. So this, this is the goal problem because I was, I was loving, I was loving Destiny 2 until I sort of realized that, you know, I could see the end of the, the runway that this story sort of had. I was running out of room to sort of have more interactions with this character and then, you know, sort of the end of the game, or sorry, the, the end of that campaign sort of happened. And it just left this really sour taste in my mouth because people had obviously, you know, with some passion or, or at least skill, if, if, if lacking passion, developed these characters in such a way that they, you know, they weren't just these random thugs, even if they, at first appearance, you know, they're sort of, spotlight introduction to the player is that they're these sort of thuggy you know military men but throughout the course of the story introduced you know deeper elements to their character deeper layers to their you know even sort of giving a sense of emotion to these um, antagonists only to sort of rob any agency that that antagonist has over the player's experience and if it was just something that I was seeing in open world Ubisoft games, or even um, I do actually sort of want to tap just briefly uh, Breath of the Wild, because you can essentially, once you've sort of been introduced to um, Calamity Ganon, and you know that he is at uh, Hyrule Castle, which is part of the tutorial process, um, 
you can in fact you know just grab whatever gear you have on the plateau leave the tutorial run straight toward him and defeat that boss that is that is part of the game as well and while that does support like a very fascinating uh game ecosystem like design ecosystem for um just letting the player do whatever they want including you know charging straight for the the end game if, if they wish to do so like while that's really cool in terms of game design and giving this amazing sandbox of of potential replayability as well for the game um it is it is totally sacrificing any any credibility that these characters have within the narrative like calamity ganon's a little bit easier because he has sort of been personified as just you know he has always been the personification of just pure evil in the Zelda franchise and he didn't like have any particular dialogue or anything like that in Breath of the Wild to my knowledge like a lot of the characterization came from the champions and the sort of the roaming merchants and even like the Yiga clan in that game they sort of gave um you know voice to uh the world and and to your antagonizing forces Calamity Ganon being pure evil essentially um just sort of means that I'm not, I'm not bothered by the fact that he didn't do any, you know, evil monologuing or whatever. Like he is so inhuman as an entity in, in that experience. You could never really empathize with what he is. So that's fine. Um, but in these other games, like the Far Cry franchise, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, um, you know, potentially the, the previous uh, version of that never played it but you know at least definitely definitely breakpoint went to the effort of developing just sort of depth and and potential empathy um you know humanized this character destiny humanized goal gave him this sense of experience and a sense of history and that sort of thing only to eliminate him at virtually the the first possible uh instance of of my coming across him as as the the protagonist in in the story and it's just it is just souring because there's this effort put into it at a writing level but that doesn't connect with what's going on at a game level so i want to i want to talk about games instead that have done this a little better and i think obviously different games do this in an acceptable manner and other games have done this in an excellent manner um, we'll definitely start with a couple of examples from just sort of my favorite games um i reckon potentially the best as like a baseline we'll, we'll, we'll talk we'll talk like a baseline because this was definitely a franchise that did good and you know good characterization of antagonists but in the first Knights of the Old Republic game, you've got Darth Malak, who is, you know, like, he's kind of the Darth Vader figure for the franchise. He's not very humanised. He's definitely your Sith Lord villain, you know, very happy to crush a planet in order to destroy the, the progress of the heroes sort of thing type of guy. But in terms of the gameplay... We see him developed through cutscenes, um, opening paragraphs with the you know the Star Wars crawling text, that sort of thing. We definitely get a sense of who he is as the big bad guy. But throughout, you know, sort of by the midway point of the game, 
we've we've crossed paths with him within the actual game there's been sort of there's been some boss fights um and some dialogues you know prefacing those boss fights where we get to actually sort of connect with him directly as part of the actual game mechanics and the, and the ui and and you know the dialogue system and all that we get to actually he's part of our story as well as us learning more about his story where our characters you know can't physically observe these these notions um and we fight him for a bit you know he runs off and then sort of obviously towards the end of the game he becomes sort of the the final villain and you know you, you go through your your boss sort of thing another really good example um which i didn't appreciate until much later when i started sort of embracing uh, game development and sort of really looking into games that have done this kind of well uh, and i think this is definitely a bit of a sleeper uh one but uh, fable 2 uh for the for the xbox 360 um essentially your villain in that was uh what was it the mayor of Bowerstone, who is who is like the you know the the mayor of like sort of the main hub city of the game world which is set in this sort of you know english fairy tales land of albion and and you start that game as a child and you've got your um you've got your older sister and you're like these orphans or or what have you and you're just sort of on the streets and then you know some sort of stuff happens with you and and then lord lucian mayor of bowerstone adopts you and sort of you have this initial like you know you have this initial sort of interaction with him and then it um it turns out that you know he has a he has adopt you know he's sort of taking you in because he knows you to have these sort of uh, special heroic qualities you're from the you know the the sort of long past heroic bloodline sort of thing that's been passed down through generations and so on and so forth um and and sort of you know he betrays you it tries to kill you sort of thing but you survive and then you go on this hero's journey of building up your power um becoming you know like a hero of albion you know big sort of you know spellcaster or you know excellent you know archer or you know big big strong sort of person um but then you have you know you have future run-ins with him you know i think you get captured at one point and then you're in like his sort of like i, I want to say villain's lair sort of uh, my my story details you know my memory of that that plot was a little bit hazy because i only played the game a couple of times I, at the time i didn't actually really like the game compared to the first fable so i was a little bit i was a little bit eh, but um I, I very much want to go back and revisit it for lucian and, and how he's been developed because throughout the whole experience you're becoming this like legendary character of magical power and might but lucian has only ever been just this mortal man who has thwarted you because of his position in society or because you know he lucks out in in certain uh instances and and don't get me wrong he's not very like it's difficult to empathize with his position because he is just out to gain power and authority over albion as a whole through through, through some magical device that he's um constructing and, and wanted to sort of harness your bloodline to power it sort of thing but um nevertheless like he's still very humanized because you're often you know you at all times you know him just to be sort of like this this um this human being who's just really ambitious um you know personifying uh, greed and and that sort of desperate uh, hunger for power and 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 that sort of thing and then towards the end of the game when you're at sort of like peak like absolute um <laughs> power and and you know personal authority like you know nothing can really stop you sort of thing the uh bunny quotes boss fight that you have with lucian was quite controversial at the time but 
in looking back on it now as a designer, and I, you know, I won't spoil it. Go look it up if if you if you didn't actually play Fable Two. But when you first see it, it's just kind of like, really, they did that. But sort of the more I've the more I've thought about it, the boss fight couldn't have gone any other way because he's he is this mortal man, and the only sort of threat to your being that he presents is that ambition, that power and status that he holds. And, you know, he's held that over you since you were a child sort of thing. So in some respects, you know, even though the writing of the Fable series isn't, you know, some mind-shattering, you know, award-winning sort of uh, content, this this idea of sort of marrying your personal strength into, like, your character's age and that sort of thing and having to deal with this, you know, um, ambitious man who's who's just sort of out to gain power and that sort of thing and and using that as your origin story to sort of take you on the hero's journey towards you know becoming a legend sort of thing um and then and then sort of reflecting back on that in how the game sort of closes out its 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 final chapter and dealing finally with lucian um you know sort of in in the in the climax of the story was a really powerful way of sort of bringing together your power as a game character through all the leveling and items and equipment that you've acquired and through the, you know, sort of repeated, re, you know, like you, you're, you're revisiting this this connection you have to this man multiple times throughout throughout the story um, leading up to, you know, his eventual, his eventual demise. Now, without going uh, too much further into other examples of characters that, that sort of avoid the goal problem or are essentially like the antithesis, you know, characters that are, are sort of well-grounded in the story but also well-grounded in gameplay and towards the character, what, what, what's, the sort of essential, what's the sort of essential point and sort of the key uh, takeaways to, to avoid this and, and the things that, you know, upon observing this little phenomenon that's starting to happen in in other games, in, in AAA games especially, where you've got all this cinematic content that just does not marry up to the gameplay because of uh, the genre or just certain things that they're doing with the gameplay. Um, I would say that the, the best the best way to avoid this and, and sort of how to make antagonists feel a lot closer to the character and, and also sort of more valuable to the player is just to spend time with them, essentially. Like, this is, this is the main thing. I, I don't think that, like, you need to have sort of you know, multiple, multiple interesting boss fights or anything like that. But just the fact that in, in all instances, these characters are sort of introduced in the tutorial. And then if they're ever referenced again, it's just sort of in a cutscene uh, until you fight them as like their actual boss fight sort of thing. It really undervalues, well, it, it devalues all of that sort of underlying uh, groundwork that is, is put into sort of developing uh, their narrative. And I guess... Um, just, just to quickly touch on a character who, who perhaps embodies this the best, like definitely the first character I think of when I think of a character that's totally avoiding this problem uh, would be Kreia from Knights of the Old Republic 2. And that game is obviously, it's largely considered, you know, extremely well-written game, um, even though it was technically, like, it didn't, it didn't get sort of completed as intended by the developers. But if you go sort of play the modded modded version of the game now with all of, all of the cut content sort of put in as best as you like you know it's it's very close to production quality what you would have expected from the actual uh, original devs at obsidian um you know Kreia is uh one like your first uh companion character um when you create your 
when you create your Jedi character and you do the tutorial sort of thing, she is the first person who joins on your quest. And, you know, you definitely get this sense very early on that she's sort of either very grey area, very in the middle of Jedi or Sith politics, or is, you know, certainly based on her past and actions just leaning full into the sort of dark side aspect of of the Jedi lore and, and the nature of the Force and that sort of thing. But because she is a character that can essentially be a companion of yours throughout the game, you've got a party of three in the Knights of the Old Republic games, so if, if you haven't played them, so you've always got like sort of two characters you can have with you. Um, and, and in Knights of the Old Republic 2 especially, certain dialogue options would uh, give influence points or, or take away influence points. And this basically represented like if you said something that that character agreed with or you took an action that they agreed with, like if there was some, you know, a very a very sort of pious and, and, and noble Jedi character in your party and you like give money to the poor or something, they may find affinity with that. But then uh, say Kreia would find... Yeah, she would. She would. She wouldn't dislike that because of her sort of darker background, but rather that because she sort of sits in this middle ground where she sort of sees all of the domino effect of your small actions on, you know, the the greater game world. Even if the game doesn't contextualize that super well, the influence system was great. And and the fact is, this character who sort of becomes an eventual boss of the game uh, later on in the game, obviously who has sort of been with you through through your whole journey, like you develop such a closeness to this character because if you do have her with you on all of your missions and stuff, the sort of dialogues that you have between each other, the banter that she has with other uh, crew members of your ship and stuff like that is just truly so well written and it's, you know, it's not something every game can do because not every game is a story-driven RPG sort of thing. Um, but just being able to spend time with your antagonists. Um, yeah, Knights of the Old Republic 2 did this so well. They set up this assassin character who then boards your ship at some point. Um, you sort of fight them, bring them to a stalemate, and then they become a crew member. And then they, they're with you for the rest of the game experience. Um, you know, just having that having that interaction. It's hard, it's hard to hate, at, at least, you know, in terms of story telling and stuff like that uh it's it's hard to have strong feelings towards a character that you don't interact with and this and this sentiment is something that we're definitely exploring and embodying with how the narrative is is set up with our game there's certainly a couple of characters that just by their motivations as antagonists uh, and just by virtue of who they are and and the actions that they take against you know friends and allies and stuff um within the the overall game story it's it's virtually impossible to sort of have any exposure to them that isn't anything other than hostile uh but despite that being able to sort of have you know the the skirmishy sort of thing where you know you have a fight and then it's like next time you know it'll be serious sort of like what while sort of cringy especially depending on how it's sort of written in those moments can seem cringy, but I think even if you if you don't have that sort of stuff and you're still trying to push some sort of personal connect with that character, if you don't make them a rival or you don't make them like a known face in your plot of your game, movie or book or anything, it is extremely hard 
to make your audience care about that character. So how do we avoid the gore problem, or how do we hope to avoid the gore problem with the dragon and I? Well, we just we just want to spend time with these characters, especially because most of them, the friction that they initially have with our protagonists, with Alec and Irian, is often a clash of culture or a clash of, uh, you know, just sort of, military objectives i guess is probably the best way to sort of put that but that doesn't mean that every antagonist has to stay an antagonist we we think that there's room for certain characters to become allies or at least sort of familiar faces that aren't going to generate that sort of hostile response and then there's other characters that uh, very much sort of play this um what are they called like this sort of shapeshifter role where you know, sometimes they're an ally, other times they're an enemy, and you're not too sure where to sort of place them. And, and the only way that you can do that is by having those interactions directly, you know, let your audience be included and let your, you know, your playable protagonist characters be included on this journey. It doesn't, you know, they don't have to be in every boardroom meeting of your, of your evil villain, but, um, just sort of just containing all of this story development to purely cutscenes that don't have any any participation by the the protagonist uh, characters of the of, you know like of the present day sort of thing like flashbacks don't really cut it either um i understand that in some respects you do need flashbacks to build up certain things that aren't worth developing as interactive elements and that sort of thing um but uh, yeah, the goal problem is very largely, you know, in the present day when things are happening in the moment with your story, if you don't have those sort of actual direct connections and developing a relationship between your protagonist and, and your antagonists, then they might as well just be really difficult, bigger bullet sponge versions of, of the enemies that you fight throughout the core narrative because... Um, it's just, yeah, it's just sort of like a, a wasted opportunity and, and, and a big disappointment when you sort of build up sort of the promise of, of having some kind of connection with these characters and then, and then it doesn't sort of work out that way. So the goal problem has many faces, uh, many instances of it occurring, especially in modern media where AAA studios are trying to avoid... Uh, or, or, you know, sort of retain the production value of previous experiences without sort of marrying it into into the gameplay. And, and obviously that's something that's super important for us, for the dragon and I, and, and something that we are hoping, hoping to avoid. So this has been more magic. This is, uh, this is sort of the main topic of discussion. Um, if, um, if you can think of other games that have sort of done this poorly or, or preferably, you know, like avoided the goal problem through sort of interaction with the player in interesting ways i'd really like uh if you could sort of extend uh the conversation via email or through discord it would be really nice to sort of hear uh some of those other examples whereby you know you've got you've got characters that you've interacted with that sort of turn you know turn in the other direction or become antagonistic or, or were always meant to be you know the the fateful villain but but had the opportunity to interact with the characters prior to their demise or, 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 you know, otherwise downfall. And that's pretty much it. I hope that uh, through this discussion, uh, you don't start sort of seeing in, in your sort of favorite games or fiction, this this weird disconnect. Um, I don't know if it's a bad thing. I just think that if you are aiming to sort of add story, 
as as sort of like a primary focus of of your projects that yeah you, you just it's just one of those things that's so easily uh, avoidable uh touch wood that um that's that's something that we can easily avoid for the dragon and i uh but that was all i sort of wanted wanted to cover today uh, that's that's the goal problem the thing that we're hoping to avoid um even though sort of we're at the early stages so getting into the actual adding in you know through the story and that sort of thing uh, will be some time away but uh, we do hope that um, you know just sort of keeping in mind that we are thinking about these sort of things the story is very important and that sort of uh, binding of the story and the gameplay elements together is 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 something that really matters to us so thank you very much for listening today uh, next time we're on air uh, probably probably in about a week or two uh, we've just got a fair bit going on at the moment but what I would like to report on is uh, the current status of the project, how things are coming along from uh, the animation perspective, the actual sort of technical test demo, like where that's at in terms of um, the build and, and how playable and, and what we're sort of working on at the moment. Um, and then if there's any sort of questions and, and feedback sort of thing, uh, obviously I'd really like to engage uh, in sort of an ongoing discussion, uh, questions, uh, things that, you know, I really, they help me a lot sort of getting getting questions from you guys, getting me to think about things that I may be neglecting as part of the project. Uh, I want to make sure everything sort of comes together really nicely. So thank you very much for tuning in today. Uh, very much appreciate it. I'm Dark Magic, and I hope you have a pleasant day. Mm-hmm.